0: Well, good morning. How's everyone feeling? Pretty good? I feel great because uh, shoveling my driveway this morning, I've already got my workout in, so I don't have to do anything else this afternoon. I can go home and just chill out, and uh, so I worked up a sweat. Anybody else work up a sweat, shovel in your driveway? Awesome. All right, some of you have got uh, snow blowers. I don't have one of those yet, but uh, maybe in the future at some point. Uh, so. But I do have two boys, and they help me, so Thank God for boys, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so anyway, they did the half, I did this half. and So yeah, I'm glad to be here today. Uh, we're week number four of this series called Unbroken. If you're a guest with us here today, uh, my name is Danny, and this series is all about adversity and going through adversity, and it's really based on a book uh, that was written years ago, a couple years ago, by Laura Hillenbrand. She's the author of uh, Seabiscuit that was turned into a movie. Remember the movie about the horse? Yeah, she wrote that book too. A pretty awesome uh, author. And, uh, of course, Angelina Jolie turned it into a movie. If you have not read this, but you've seen the movie, the book has so much more detail in it. I would encourage you to, next time you go on a a little vacation or something like that, uh, grab this on your Kindle or or iReader or or the hard copy, and I I promise you, you won't be able to put it down. Uh, I cried at least four times reading that book. It's amazing. Uh, But the reason the story is is so riveting and and it's it's captured the attention of, of the nation, literally, is because it's a story of perseverance. It's a story of a person who just refused to give up. Louis Zamperini's plane went down in World War II and he sur- mag- miraculously survived this plane crash. Uh, two of his other crew members survived. Everyone else died and they floated on the ocean for 47 days and uh, it, they, they had to fight off, you know, sharks and, and, and storms and the heat of, this, of, the, of the sun during the day. At one point, a Japanese plane a fighter pilot found them and they thought it was an american plane so they started shooting their flares up and reflecting their mirrors and and then they got shot at for 30 minutes and somehow miraculously none of the bullets hit them but their 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 raft was riddled with holes i mean it's just it's just this insane story uh, of adversity and how someone could could persevere through it and then on day 47 they finally find land but come to find out you know it was, it was uh you know japanese uh territory and so they were. They were taken into, uh, became POWs, and then he underwent some crazy torture for two and a half years, and, and uh, again, I don't want to spoil everything for you, but it's just its just this amazing story. He just would die. When they reached land, he was 65 pounds. That's incredible. That's how, that's, he was literally starving to death on the raft, and then he went through another two and a half years uh, like that, skin and bones pretty much. And so the war ended in 1945, and he came home and as a war hero, and, and uh, there's more to the story, but... That's the gist of it. We said the reason this story, again, is, is so exciting is because we look at somebody who goes through tremendous adversity and comes out on the other side and we find inspiration from that, don't we? We feel like, man, if he can go through that, then, then I can get through my situation, and come out on the other side. And when we ask the question, well, how did he do it? Of course God's favor was on his life. Of course God was protecting him. Of course there were miraculous things happening, okay? The survival of the crash itself was miraculous. But, but what we also said is when he did come, come to and when he realized he was alive, it was his perspective that allowed him to live an unbroken life. And, and this is kind of the takeaway for the whole series. Every time every week we've said this, it's, it's our perspective that allows us to live an unbroken life. Like how we view the difficulties that we go through in our life determines whether or not the adversity is going to make us or break us. Like how we see it, how we understand it, how we interpret it is what makes the difference in our life. And so uh, basically what we've said in this series, we want to give you five biblical perspectives to deal with adversity so you can be a Louis Zamperini type person and persevere through the adversity in your life, come out on the other side unbroken. So today what I want to do is is just continue that conversation, and I want to begin by by pointing out something that I believe is true for all of us. You know, when it comes to God's will, there's God's general will for every single one of us who are alive, all six and a half billion, seven billion people, and then there's God's specific will for our life. Okay, now those are two different things. One, one applies to every, everyone, and the other applies just, just to you. Like who he wants you to marry, and you know, where he wants you to go to school, and what, what clothes he wants you to wear today, or what he wants you to eat for lunch this afternoon. Like that's his specific will for you. And then there's his general will that's true for everyone. I want to talk about his general will for you and I today. It's in your notes. Watch this. I believe this is true for every single human being. God's plan for you is to live a God-focused life. That's his absolute plan for your life. It's true for every single human being who's alive today. One time someone asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, like, what's the, what's the, if you could, could you sum up, like, what, like the law, like, what's the most important commandment? In Matthew 22, Jesus responds. Listen to this. Listen to what he says. You must love the Lord your God with all your, say it with me, your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind okay so here 's what Jesus is basically basically saying. This is the greatest commandment look like the, the most important thing, the greatest thing you can do like is to love me with all of all of your being, like he mentions heart, mind, and soul some some versions of the Old Testament also put strength your your whole body just 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 to be completely utterly focused on. Me, Like, love me with all of your being. Like, I want to be the apple of your eye. In the book of Exodus, one of the Ten Commandments that, that, he, that God gave Moses was, you shall have no other gods before me. You know what that means? That means you shall love nothing more than me. Nothing shall rival my position in your heart. I want to be the treasure and love of your life. Now, now, if I tried to pull that with my wife, how do you think that would go down? Hey, honey. <laughs> I want you to love me with all your heart, mind, and strength. I want to be the focus of your life. I want to, I want to captivate, you. I want to be on your mind 24-7. My wife would look at me and say, you are some kind—you're on some kind of ego trip. <laughs> like you're some type of narcissist, you're some type of, like we can't pull that off with each other, right? We can't say that to our kids. Hey, hey love daddy with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and have no other, no other loves in your life that would rival love for me in your heart. Like we can't pull that off. Like they, like when, in fact, people who live that way in this life, what do you do with, you, do you do with them? You run from them, don't you? <laughs> You're like, that's a narcissist. i got to get away from that person. They're totally selfish and self-absorbed. But God, God, on the other hand, can command us to say, hey, hey, when it comes to your life, love me. Be all about me. Be completely focused on me. How is it possible for God to pull that off and not be labeled a, a narcissist right? or, or an egomaniac? We'll get to that in just a second. But, but for now, what I want to say is that that's, that's kind of from, when you open the Bible, that's, that's his plan. It's just from cover to cover. It's like, okay, you are to love God. You are to be focused on God. You are to worship God and have nothing in your heart that, that compares to him at all. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Kind of a different version of the same idea. Jesus said, but seek first, okay? Before anything else, I want you to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these other things, they're going to be added to you. What are the other things? Things like food and clothing and shelter and all the other things that human beings need, money and all, the, all those things. He says, I don't want you to seek those things first. See, that's our problem. A lot of times we seek those things first before God. God, Jesus says, I want you to seek me first. In fact, I want you to seek my kingdom. And you know what the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is God's activity in the world. It's the place where God is doing work. It's the place where God is actively engaging human beings and, and doing things on earth. That is the kingdom Of God, it's not when we die and go to heaven. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying seek my will every single day In fact, jesus gave us a prayer. It's it's been called the lord's prayer. I think incorrectly It's actually our prayer. He gave us the lord's prayer for us not for himself, right? And here's how it goes, right? Our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name hallowed be thy name your kingdom come What does that mean your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That's the prayer that you and I are to be praying every single day. What does it mean? It simply means that when I wake up and when you wake up, the first thing we ought to be thinking is, God, I want to advance your kingdom, and I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, is God's will done on earth as it is in heaven right now? Anybody? Heck no. No. There's terrorists running around cutting people's heads off There's crazy stuff going on in the world right now That is not the will of God It is not the advancement of the kingdom of God It's the the advancement of some other kingdom But it's not the kingdom of God And so God says, here's what I want you to do I want you to be my hands and my feet in this world I want you to wake up every day And join me to advance my will in this world I want you to be completely God-focused And God-centered and God-saturated That is his will for my life And that is his will for your life This making sense? Now watch how King David did this he, most of the time. He had a little episode with Bathsheba that, man, it was crazy, but he, he, he got off course a little bit. But most of his life, he lived a God-focused, God-centered, God-saturated life. Listen to what he said in Psalm 16. By the way, if you don't like Psalm 16 or if you've never read it or if you don't have no idea what Psalm 16 is, go look at it. I mean, it's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful Psalms. Listen to what he says. He says this, David says, I have set the Lord always before me. In other words, that that, that means I have placed God before my mind and heart. Because he's at my right hand, because he's with me, my life will not be shaken. Wouldn't it be awesome to live a life that's unshaken, right? Unfrazzled. Just just solid, just rock solid. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now, remember a few moments ago I mentioned that that God is the only one that can kind of say, hey, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Live your life for me. Be focused on me. Can be completely centered on me. And we thought, how could he say that? Watch this. Watch this. Next verse. This is what David says. Therefore, because I have set the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, watch what happens. Therefore, my heart is, say it with me and my whole being rejoices and my flesh or my body dwells secure. Do you wanna know why God can say be God-focused, be God-saturated, be completely obsessed with me and my will and seek my kingdom first above all else? It's because when you do, it's the the best thing for you. Then your heart is glad and your whole being rejoices. How many of you would like to have your whole being rejoice? It's not going to be in a glass of wine. It's not going to be in their next sexual experience. It's not going to be in making some more money. It's not, it's not going to be in, in, in getting the raise or, the, or, or getting a promoted to, to have a powerful position or, or the new car or the new house. It's not going to be in any of those things. It's going to be in God. And when you set the Lord before you and he's at your right hand, your whole being rejoices and your body rests secure. <laughs> That's why God can say, be God-obsessed, be God-focused, be God-saturated, focus your whole mind and your whole life on me and my will, because when you do, your spirit comes alive. It's what you were made for. You weren't made for any of these other things. All these things will be added unto you if you seek first the kingdom of God. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I think that's beautiful. Maybe some of you are still thinking about the snow you shoveled. I'm not sure. But that is God's will for your life period, to be God-focused, God-saturated, God-obsessed. But what I've noticed is that that's not happening very much. In fact, that only happens in like the extreme cases, like the super-Christians. You ever met a super-Christian? They're kind of weird, right? They're awkward. They march to a different drumbeat a little bit, right? Why? Because they're because they're God-obsessed, they're God-focused, they're God-saturated, and they talk about Jesus all the time and the advancement of his kingdom, kingdom and all these different things. He's like, man, would not you talk about something else? Well, no. They're completely focused on God and his will. And that, and in fact, that is supposed to be normal for us, for us to be totally absorbed in what God is doing in the world. So why isn't it happening? Why is that not the norm? Why don't we live this way? Why, why so much of the other stuff, you know, the, the Christians who you really can't tell them, you know, uh, any difference between them and a person who's really not a Christian? Why so much of that? Because that's what the statistics show in America. You line up some Christians against some non-Christians, and you really can't tell them apart. And their attitudes, and their behaviors, and their mindsets, and their, all their, their, their methods of how they live their life. Why? Why is it so hard to live this way? Here, here's a couple of reasons, and, and there's probably 25 reasons, but I just, we don't have time to go through 25 reasons. <laughs> just, just two today. Now, I think the first one is distraction. Distraction. I think we're distracted. The word distraction means to have your attention diverted. Um, anybody ever have their attention diverted? Anybody have ADD? <laughs> I had it growing up, but, but I didn't take the drugs back then, so I just got used in conduct. <laughs> Big you on my credit, on my report card. You know, my, my mom would say, what's wrong with you? It's like, well, I can't sit still. I can't stop talking. You know, I was one of those kids. Anybody, any teachers in the crowd? Yeah, that was me. Just yap, 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 getting up all the time. You in conduct, okay? So, so to, 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 to lose your focus or, or to be distracted means that your attention is diverted. You're not paying attention to the teacher. You're not paying attention to God. You're not paying attention to the instructor or whoever it is that's trying to get your inten- attention. Distracted? How are we distracted? I believe number one, we're distracted by busyness. We're distracted by the busyness of life. It's just go, 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 and you can't say no to a, to, a, to an opportunity. And, and my wife just asked me the other day. She says, "Hey, do you want to put our kids in lacrosse?" I'm like lacrosse? Like, are you sick? Lacrosse? We're a basketball family. We don't do lacrosse. Lacrosse would be another practice during the week, another game on Saturday, another four hundred dollars for equipment. I mean, come on. And I just said, I just said, no, I just, because I don't want any more d- d- distractions, the busyness, and the going, and the, and the coming, and the practices, and it's all the time, and it's 24-7. Anybody else trying to raise some kids? Your kids are younger, Wait till they like 9, 10, 11, 12, and they're just going every direction possible. It's nuts. And, and, and you know what? And then you throw in on top of all of that, you got to take care of a house, and the dishwasher's leaking, and this is happening, and the dog's sick, and you're just like, Man. Like, I can't even get a break. And then, and then somehow I'm supposed to be God-focused and God-centered and God-saturated? Give me a break. And, and you know what? Here, here's here's, here's the, the other issue. It's not really the busyness. Because I know busy people that can somehow manage to stay God-focused and God-centered and God-saturated. It's not the busyness. It's, the, it's what happens when we're busy. We become hurried people. Now, hurry is the real issue. You know, do you know, do you know what I'm talking about when I say Hurry. See, hurry is, that, is a mindset. Hurry is a state. Hurry, hurry is, a, is a position where you're just like, did you go, how are you going? And i am got to hurry, and, and oh my gosh, and i got to get there. And, and it's, a, it's almost a personality issue. It's like you're always hurrying, and that is a, as a life devoid of God. Like God is not even present in your midst. He's not even in your mindset. He's not even, you're not even aware of his presence. You're just hurrying because you have a list to do, and you got to go. Am I, am I reading your email today? come on am I this is this see hurry is the enemy of the spiritual life a pastor named John Orberg was struggling with this and he's got a church much larger than ours Menlo Presbyterian Church and he he noticed that his he couldn't keep God in his mind and he was so he was so frazzled and going to meetings and going here and doing all these things and counseling and preaching and all these so he called uh, Dallas Willard who's like a spiritual guru type guy you know, a man who just learned to live in the ways of Jesus. And, and, and John Ortberg tells a story like this. He says, I called Dallas, and I said, Dallas, I'm really struggling. Uh, you know, I just can't really seem to, to, to find peace with God. I'm just so busy. And Dallas said, um, here's, my, here's my counsel to you. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John wrote it down. He's telling the story. He says, okay, I got, now I got that. And I got 30 minutes for this phone call. So what else do you got? <laughs> Dallas shot back and said, that's all, John. That's all I got from you. Because hurry is the enemy of the spiritual life. It puts you in a state of mind that says, I don't care about God. I'm not concerned about God. I just got to go, 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 and do and call and be and meet all these. We're distracted by busyness that turns into hurry. You know. The second part is, is, is that we're distracted also by promises of happiness outside of God. I have seen this in my own life. I've seen this in the lives of the men that I disciple and mentor. We are distracted. The reason we don't live God-focused lives is because we're distracted by promises of happiness. Other gospels, promises of, you know, be it, be it drugs or alcohol or, 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 or a party or, 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 or just your body image or what people think about you or money or pornography. Or, I mean, or drugs or you name it. Like, like there are so many things out there. Calling your name saying drink me taste me, you know consume me come to me and I will satisfy your soul And these are promises of happiness outside of god and god says You know through the mouth of of david, you know set the lord before me And because i'm at your right hand listen, here's the deal Here's the deer your life will be unshaken and then your heart's going to be glad and your whole being's going to rejoice And your body will rest secure. And, and that is where you need to live But then there's the other things that keep calling out your name. No, there's more. Come on over here and drink from this fountain. And we just get distracted. We get knocked off off the course and so we don't live a God-focused life. Jesus told a parable one time about four soils. I did a whole sermon on this one time. He said there, there's, a, there's a farmer out there scattering some seed, which is the word of God. Some, some seed fell on the stony ground. Some, see, some seed f- fell among the rocks. Some seed fell among the thorns. Matthew chapter 13, verse 7, here's what Jesus said. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. In verse 22, Jesus tells us what those thorns are. He says that they are the cares of this world, and they are the of riches. You see that? distractions the word of god comes in we we embrace it we believe it we receive it and then all of a sudden there's oh there's life and there's money the deceitfulness of riches what is the deceitfulness of riches you know what it is it's it's this lie that money and the things that money can buy will satisfy your soul that's it that's a lie it'll never work it's been tried before it will leave you empty and so we get distracted you know what else we get distracted by the blessings of god the blessings of god It's, there's, there's distraction of, of, of busyness and hurry, and then there's the, the promises of happiness outside of God, and then there's the actual blessings of God. Like, when, isn't it difficult to, to focus your life on God when everything is going well? When you have, all the bills are paid, and everybody's healthy, and the kids are doing well in school, and, and everything's happy, and, 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 and it's like, what need, what need do you have of God? Like, why focus on God? Like, why continue a conversation with God? See, the blessings of God can actually distract us from focusing our life on God. The Israelites, I, I, I told you last week, I said, you know, in the Old Testament, we should all read the Old Testament. It's so good. I know there's some difficult parts there, but, you know, still get in there. It's so good for us. The, the Israelites are really a metaphor for our life in many ways. And so right after the Israelites get delivered up out of Egypt by Moses and God, the ten plagues and all that stuff, he's about ready to bring them into the promised land, and, and he gives them this stern warning because the promised land was this land flowing with milk and honey and blessings and all these wonderful things. And listen to what God says through Moses. There's this, this huge warning here in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, take care or be on your guard, lest you, say it with me, forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. He continues, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then you for, then your heart be lifted up, and you, say it with me, forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is, this is a huge warning. What is he saying? Hey, when everything is going your way, when everything's multiplying, you got gold and silver and your houses are beautiful... Watch out be on guard. Don't forget me listen to what he says in verse 17. He continues Beware lest you say in your heart my power and my might and my hand have gotten me this wealth And verse 18 you shall remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you power to get wealth Now if you know anything about the israelites they did forget They forgot like you forget They're supposed to be god-focused Right he wanted to be their king and their shepherd, and then they, they said, no, we want our king for ourselves. And they just forgot. They forgot that, that, that God was the one, that he was the one who delivered them, that he was the one who gave them all the money. And in fact, on the way out of Egypt, God caused the Egyptians to give all the Israelites their silver and their gold. Like, he did that. Like, they walked out rich. They didn't walk out slaves. And when everything's going well in our lives the blessings of god so what need do i have of god beware beware be on guard don't forget remember the lord your god now because of these distractions and i said there's probably 23 more (laughs) of them uh we lose focus so what does god do and this is where our this is where our fourth perspective comes in today what does god do watch this god uses adversity to get our attention we get off course we get distracted we lose sight of God. God uses difficulty, uses pain to wake us up. I'll never forget the day as a young Christ follower, I came across Psalm 119 verse 71. You, you're not gonna like this verse, but it's in the Bible. <laughs> this, is, this is where I got it from. Psalm 119 verse 71. My suffering, anybody like to suffer? Anybody want some suffering today? Or, or would you like to pass? Probably pass, right? My suffering, my cancer. My bankruptcy, my divorce, the abuse, the rejection. My suffering was good for me. Whoa. This isn't a Bible. I'm not making this up. My suffering was good for me. Why? Why, David? Why was, why was your suffering good for you? Because it taught me to do what? Pay attention to your decrees. What are decrees? your ways, your laws, your methods, your truth. David says, here's the deal with with adversity. It's a good thing because it wakes me up and causes me to pay attention. Remember what we said distraction is? Distraction is when your attention gets diverted, diverted away from God. And so adversity brings us back to God. and say, oh God, I need you. This pain and this suffering, I'm coming back to you. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, although many times he's difficult to understand. I have to read things over and over and over again. But in his book called The Problem with Pain, he said it this way. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts to us in our pains. He goes on to say, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When I read that first time, I thought, I pictured a megaphone. (laughs) I'm not going to... I'm not going to turn this on and yell at you today. (laughs) That'd be weird. But I pictured a megaphone. I thought, "This this this is the purpose behind adversity. Not every time. Sometimes adversity is designed to get us to rely on God and turn us into comforters and to build endurance. We talked about that in the last three weeks. But sometimes adversity is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We have become deaf to God. We have been distracted. Our focus is off God. We are not loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We are not seeking the kingdom of God before all else. We are not setting the Lord before our minds each and every day. And God says, i got to get your attention back. And what did he do with the Israelites? He brought adversity into their life and got their attention. And then they would pray to him and focus on him and call out to him. And then God would get, send them a deliverer. Just read the book of Judges back and forth and back and forth. And he'd bring adversity back into their life to get their attention it's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world you know when uh after 9 11 hit um some statistics show that church attendance went up by 25 percent that amazing you remember this scene right americans were going wow I, got, I need answers, I gotta go back to church. In fact, George Barna, who does a lot of research for the church, he's written many, many books, this is what Barna found to be true. He said, after the attacks, millions of nominally churched or generally ir- irreligious Americans were desperately seeking something that would restore stability and a sense of meaning to life. So people started going back to church to try to get some understanding. Why? Because God uses adversity to get our attention. People are like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, is there really evil in the world, and what should we do about it? God uses adversity to get our attention. You know, the apostle Paul. I've been talking about him in the last couple of weeks, and he's probably the most influential Christ follower, arguably maybe Peter, I'm not sure, other than Jesus himself, uh, to ever live. And he was one of the most Christ-centered, God-focused people to ever walk the planet. I want to read you a few statements that he wrote in some letters to the churches there in the, there in the New Testament. Philippians chapter three verse eight. Some of you are familiar with this. Paul said this, "Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord." He continues, "For his sake, I have suffered the, the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. This little passage, and we could do a whole series on just Philippians chapter three, verse eight. Paul Paul was the was the master of Judaism. He was called a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like he was the top dog when it came to Jewish. The Jewish religion and he had accolades and he had respect and but when he found Christ he threw all of that away he said you know it's nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ my Lord like he's so much more valuable that I count all of that stuff all of the accomplishments all of the accolades I count it as rubbish you know what that word means in the Greek <laughs> some of you know you know what it means rubbish poop there it is right there come to church you get some truth it means dung, that's what it means, it's it's total garbage, total trash, excrement, he says, that's what I count, everything that I've accomplished in my life, it's rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, look what he said in Galatians to the the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 6, he says, as for me, may I never boast or brag about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, watch this, because of that cross, my interest in the world has been crucified, you imagine? My interest in the world's system and the way the the world says that we should gain value and respect and the way the world says that we should gain identity, my whole whole relationship with the world's values and system has been crucified, killed, crushed. It's dead. And guess what? And the world's interest in me has also died. When you take up the cross and when you follow Christ, the world is not going to be very interested in you. (laughs) Because that system, those values of Jesus Christ, the teachings of Christ, they don't jive with the systems of the world. So they're going to say, you know, I'm done with you. (laughs) Right? You just try to be a college professor today in America. Just try it. And take a stand for Christ and see what happens in our country today. Right? The world is done with you. Paul says, I'm done with it, and the world is done with me. Why? Because I am completely focused on Jesus and what he did on the cross, and here's my favorite one in the book of Philippians, chapter one, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to wake up in the morning, it's gonna, my day's going to be about Jesus, right? It's going to be about drawing life from him. It's going to be about telling others about him. It's going to be completely Christ-focused. And if I should die tonight, it's a win, baby. It's a win-win because if I die, I get to see who? Who do I get to see? Come on, talk to me. Come on, come on. See, it's Jesus, and he is the source of happiness and joy in life, and so I win if I die. Sure, I'll be sad. I'll miss my wife. I'll miss my kids, but it is a win if we die. You can't stop somebody like that, and so Paul became this indomitable force for Christianity, but it wasn't always true for him. In fact, it was the exact opposite for him. The apostle Paul was dead sent against Christianity. In fact, he made it his goal before he became a Christian. His name was Saul. He made it his goal to wipe out Christianity. He basically said to himself, Jesus is dead. This false religion is starting to rise. So here's what I'm going to do. If I kill every Christ follower or put them in jail, we'll wipe out this whole movement. So one day he was on a mission. He was on the Damascus Road. And he was traveling down that road to go lock up some Christians and and bring them back. and, and, And so they can be punished and put in jail. And guess who shows up? guess who shows up? Yeah, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Jesus shows up. All of a sudden, Paul realizes, uh-oh, Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. He's talking to me. His light knocks Paul off of his horse. He's on his back, and Paul says, who is this? And Jesus says, it is Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? why are you fighting against me? And all of a sudden Paul realized, oh my gosh, it's true. Like nobody stole the body at night. That's, that was the story that, that, that had been promoted that somebody at night stole the body of Jesus and then it made this myth up that he rose from the dead. And Paul's like, no, he, he must have really rose from the dead. But it doesn't stop there. Watch what happens in Acts chapter nine. Listen to this. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened up his eyes, he was what? He was blind, which always confused me. Like, what's up with the blindness? So his companions led him to the, by, the, by the hand to Damascus, and then he remained there blind, and for three days he didn't eat or drink anything. That always confused me too. Like, for me, I, I, my brain, the way it works is like, if I have ever heard the voice of Jesus audibly, and been knocked off my horse, or out of my car, if it were today, because of some bright light, that should have been enough to change the direction of my life but but no it's not now he's got to be blind for three days and he has to basically starve for three days if you've ever done a three-day fast anybody ever done a three-day fast you don't have to raise your hand I've done a three-day fast I've gone longer not toot my own horn I just wanted to know what it felt like and I wanted to have that experience and the Bible tells us we should fast on day three you know what I want to do on day three eat my fist, okay? It's, you feel like you're dying. You really do. Like, you're not dying, but your body's telling you, alert, 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 if you don't eat something, you might die tonight. This is the experience Paul is having. He's, his body is, is telling him, you're going to die, you're going to die, and, and when I did my fast, I drank 64 ounces of water every day, each one of the days. Paul had no water, you just try to go, no food and no drinking for three days. You're going to feel, it is going to be tremendous pain. I have I, only been there halfway. And on top of that, he can't see. I mean, I mean th- think about what he must be thinking about Jesus. Jesus, this, this one who, who takes the children into his lap and says, come to me, kids. Jesus, the merciful one. Jesus who touches the eyes of the blind. Jesus, the one who heals the lepers. Jesus, this, this, the one who forgives prostitutes. And now Paul is suffering. He's starving to death. His, his tongue is stuck to his roof, and he can't see anything. You talk about adversity. What was Jesus doing here? You know what he was doing? He was getting Paul's attention. I am Lord, and I am master charge his voice and the light were not enough he brought some serious adversity to this guy's life after three days miraculously he gets his eye his sight back he starts to eat some food and from that point on Paul is convinced Paul is convinced that Jesus is Lord and he starts to go out and preach the gospel it goes on in his life to to, to plant 14, at least 14 churches maybe more some scholars say Out of the the 27 books of the New Testament, Paul wrote 13 of the books. I mean, think about that. The New Testament's 27 books, the author of 13 of them is Paul. This guy went nuts because he was convinced that God was Jesus and Jesus was alive and he was the Messiah. God got his full attention. What am I telling you today? Sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, God uses adversity. God uses pain to rouse a deaf world. To wake us up because we are asleep. We have been distracted. We have lost focus in our lives. God uses adversity to get our attention, to bring us back to him. So let me ask you a question today as we get ready to wrap up. What could God accomplish through you if he had your full attention? What a question. I love questions. I love questions that probe the soul and alter us. I love questions that mess with us, don't you? it bothers you because right now god doesn't have your attention you're just going through the motions you're just doing your thing and trying to save some money in your 401k and trying to you know i don't know what you're trying to do try to just live your life but what would happen if 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 god got your full undivided attention and said you know what my plan for your life is it's to advance my kingdom in this world let's go let's go what what could happen like, who could you influence in your life? With the years that you have left in this life, like, who could you bless? Like, who could benefit because God has captured your undivided attention? Who could be blessed? What projects would get, got, would get done? What causes, what pain could be alleviated because God suddenly got your full undivided attention and you were like, I'm all in, let's go. Like, I'll give my heart, my money, my time, my resources, my talent. Like, what could change because God got your full undivided attention? Oh man, see, I believe this is how some of the vices in my life got broken. See, I'm, I'm a man just like any other man, and, I, and there's been vices in my life, sins, sinful patterns in my life. But but what, what when I look at the core of how did I overcome those? And I'm not saying I'm perfect and I never sin. But how did I how did I step out of bondage from some of the sins of my past? You know what it was? It was me saying, God, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my heart, my life, my body, my f- everything is yours to advance your kingdom in this world. To, I want to I do your work in this world. And if I step back into this sinful pattern, that's contrary to what you've called me to do. So guess what I started to notice? Sinful patterns of selfishness and coveting and greed or lust or whatever it is, they started to fall away. Because I can't go this direction and go this direction at the same time, and neither can you. What sinful patterns or vices or problems in your life would fall away because you started to live your life for the will of God, seeking it every day, Get rolling out of bed saying, today's your day, these hands are your hands, these eyes are your eyes, these ears are your ears, these feet are your feet, this heart is your heart, I'm going to do your will. Like, what would fall away? What would that do to your marriage? What would that, what would that do to your kids? if we as a church, if God got our undivided attention and we caught a vision about how Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and and we caught a vision for the people whose names we've written down here, and our hearts started beating, how many multi-sites could we launch with the time we have left in the next 20, 25 years, 30 years? How many? Five? Ten? Like, how many parts of the world could we impact We want to infiltrate Africa. That's our next step. We want to try to get there. But we're in Cartagena and Colombia. We're we're in all, we're in Haiti. We're in these different, like, how many countries could we impact if God got our undivided attention and we said, God, I get it. I know what you want to do. You want this gospel message to get out to the whole world, and we're in. We're we're in with our time, we're in with our money, we're in with our hearts. What could we do? That chapter hasn't been written yet, has it? It remains to be seen but I'm going to try to go first, and every day roll out of my bed and say, I'm not going to seek my own kingdom. I'm going to seek the kingdom of God, your heart, and your will. Like, what could happen? What could happen in your life if God got your undivided attention? Now, I hope you ponder that question this week. I really do. I hope it messes with you. I hope it ruins your week. I really do. You've got to have your routine ruined sometime by the Holy Spirit, by God. Like, he's got to mess with you to change you, right? Like, what would happen if you saw adversity as a means for you to get back? What would happen if you could say, like, David, my suffering is good for me because it caused me to start paying attention to God and his ways? Whoa. It changed your life. Now, let me close this way. Uh, God is merciful enough to use some other means to get our attention. Anybody thankful for that? Like, adversity is not the only way he does it. Even though pain is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world, he does have some other means. One of those means is communion. Did you know that? Communion is a way for us to, to go, okay, I've been off course. Whoa, whoa, seeking the wrong things. Let me, let me come back and focus on what's the most important thing. Listen to what Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks for it to God. Watch this. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do it. Why? Do it to what? Say it with me. To remember me. Listen, he continues. He starts talking about the the, the wine. In the same way, he took took the cup of wine after the supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Now watch this. Do this what? How? For what purpose? To remember me. Every time you drink it. Today we have, we have juice, we don't have wine, we have some juice, some of you would like some wine, <laughs> but we just have juice, we've got some juice and some bread. They are a representative of, a representation or symbol of the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ for your forgiveness. And Jesus commands us, and he tells us, do this every so often, doesn't tell us how often to do it. Do this so that you can remember, so that you don't forget about my perfect sacrifice for you on the cross. So you can stay focused on me. And he gave us communion for that purpose. So here's what we're going to do. Our worship team is going to lead us in some songs. When you feel led to come down here, if you're a believer in Christ, if you have faith in Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, this this is for you. Okay? This is for you and Jesus. When the time is right and you feel God leading you, don't rush it. Don't rush it. Take your time and let this moment be special between you and God so that you refocus your life and say, God, I'm giving you my undivided attention through this ordinance called communion. And then I'll come back up here and close this when we're done worshiping. Jesus, Jesus said, hey, take this bread from time to time. Take this juice from time to time and eat it and drink it. Do it to remember me. And so we do that today. We do that to refocus, to give Him our attention, to say, God, I'm I'm, I'm going to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm going to seek your kingdom above all. I'm going to set you before my, my mind and my heart every single day. But for some of you, for some of you, there's a different message here today. The message is this. You're going to live forever somewhere. You have a soul. There's some people who believe once you die, it's over, and you go six feet under, and called annihilation you're you're no more you don't exist it's just not true the truth is is that when you die your soul is separated from your body and it's going to go one or two places it's either going to go into the presence of God or it's going to be separated from God for all eternity you say well how do I how does my soul make it to that to to the presence of God so that I could avoid going to that other place I think you know what other place I'm talking about (laughs) it's called hell How do i ensure that my my soul is in the presence of god well you you have to know about the broken body and 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 the shed blood of jesus that's the whole purpose of it jesus came to this earth to die on a cross his body was broken and his blood was spilled so that you could have the forgiveness of sins so that you can so that you can be reconciled with god so you can have a relationship with him and when you put your faith in what christ did when you put your faith in christ for the forgiveness of sins you you, you, you receive forgiveness of sins. You receive grace. You start a relationship with God. A lot of people think the way to get to heaven is by being a good person. Even some of you here today, you think that. Well, I think I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. It has nothing to do with you being a good person. I think you should be a good person. It's a good thing to be a good person. But it has nothing to do with about where your soul is going to go. If you could be a good person and get to heaven when you die, this was pointless. The cross is meaningless. It's not about being a good person. It's about having your sins forgiven, and you could not have your sins forgiven on your own. Christ had to come and die on a cross and have his body broken and his blood spilled so you can have your sins forgiven. And some of you right now, you need to accept that gift of eternal life. You need to put your faith in Christ. You say, how do you do that? Well, you pray. You pray and you ask Jesus to come into your life. You say something like this, Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again three days later so I can have eternal life. Please come into my life. Forgive my sins. Wash me up. Make me your child. You would say something like that to him. And for some of you right now, you need to make that decision. I'm gonna lead you in that prayer. So if that's you right now, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And for the first time, this is making sense to you perhaps. If you'd like to put your faith in Christ just say this to him right now. He's listening. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But I now ask, I ask you to forgive my sins. I believe you died for me on the cross. And you paid the penalty for my sin. Please come into my life, forgive me, cleanse me, make me new. I I trust in the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And help me from this day forward to live my life in a way that honors you. In a way that brings a smile to your face. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. If you just prayed to receive Christ today, it's absolutely essential that that you grab a Bible and you begin reading, and here's why. Because God's word is your spiritual food, and so today, if you prayed to receive Christ, we want to put a Bible in your hands, it's a gift from us to you, totally free, There's tables back here to my left and to my right, just go back there and say, hey, I prayed that prayer to receive Christ today, they'll put one of these Bibles in your hands, and then you can begin reading it, and God will begin to speak to you, and guide your life, and instruct your life, Can we give God a hand for what he's done today, give him glory, Thank you for coming out today in the snow. I hope that was worth it for you. I hope you were able to refocus your life upon God, bring your attention back on Him. It's His design for your life. It's where you're going to find gladness of heart. It's where your whole being is going to rejoice. It's when your body, it's where your body's going to find security. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this moment of grace this moment that you've given us to refocus our lives back on you. Thank you for communion. Thank you for the broken body and the shed blood of Christ and what it has accomplished for every man, woman, and child. God, for those who put their faith in Christ today, I pray that you give them courage to go grab a Bible and begin reading. And for all of us here today, give us the the perspective that you allow adversity to come into our lives to bring our attention back upon you. Help us to live unbroken lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Next week is week number five, the fifth perspective. You're not going to want to miss it. Hopefully there'll be no snow. Bring a friend.